Looks like we're set to go. You know, I, I, I wish that I could write as, yeah, I have it on. I wish I could write as clearly as I, as I can speak with the mic on. I thought that was large writing it till I stood over there and realized you can't see it back there. So that, that'll get you, that'll get you forward. Um, I, I can't do any better than that, so I apologize. Uh, besides that, not only is it too small, but my handwriting, I was, God did not give me decent handwriting. He just, you know, he probably said, this is one way to get this guy's humility. This happened. I, I tried as, throughout childhood writing every different style possible. You can tell from books that I've had in my library how long I've had them by the writing style because I tried to change the direction. Anything to help, nothing worked. So there you have proof of it. I'll, I'll translate it. Uh, may as well be in Hebrew or Greek, you know. Uh, anyway, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm translating it. Well, not anymore. It's been so long since I used it. Um, anyway, I'm going to start with a, a prayer that's found in the liturgy, and it's one of my favorite, and I've used it before because I think it summarizes the Christian hope. Oh God, in, who in creating human nature has wonderfully dignified it and still more wonderfully reformed it. Grant that we may become partakers of his divine nature, who deigned to partake of our human nature, thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, throughout all ages of ages. Amen. I'm going to start with a, a, just a very brief statement from St. Gregory Palamas. He said, conjectural analogy destroys the foundations of orthodox theology and leaves man suspended in an existential void. Conjectural analogy. That is, you might say, making it up on our own or deciding that we know what truth is. Destroys the foundations of orthodox theology. Remember, well, I'll come back to it, never mind. Uh, and leaves man suspended in an existential void. On the other hand, from the psalmist, you know, Psalm 73 is, is one of my favorites, I guess, because I, I think I've lived it before I read the psalm and knew what the psalm said. Uh, uh, but in any case, it's a psalm where the psalmist looks around at the world around him and he sees oh, the wicked and those who don't care about anything to do with faith seeming to prosper. And he's, he's wondering, why? Why do I bother doing this stuff? Uh, and he said, when I thought to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. When we, when we come in, as we mentioned in classes in the past, when we enter into the presence of God, everything changes, our whole perspective. And one of the problems that leads, in my opinion, to spiritual despondency, uh, and, and maybe I'm reading into it my own interpretation of what that entails, but I think I have a general idea of what it involves for all of us, just like we can use the word and all of us have some idea what spiritual despondency is, experientially at least, even if we can't put it in words. But in any case, we, we come into, into this truth and we see, we begin to see and experience until we walk into the temple of God, the presence of God, we begin to see with different eyes. Then we understand what's been lost, what's been missing. Uh, I, I couldn't help but notice in the, it's one of the Psalms in the proper today, by the waters of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered thee, O Zion, 
the temple, the place of the temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of the temple, uh, the temple of the place where the corporate worship takes place, the temple of God in eternity. By the waters of Babylon, the world, we sat down and wept when we remembered thee, O Zion. We tend to think of Christianity as a religion or as an intellectual perception, you know, philosophy. Theology is seen as a word that represents religious philosophizing. And so when some Christians, people get serious about Christ, they think, well, theology is a man-made thing. Theology is, is a result of an experience with God which we try to describe, and it will all be the same. Our experiences will be different, but they'll be of the same God, so therefore they will essentially be the same. That's why we turn to the church to tell us, how do I get here? How do I go forward? You've been here. You've been through this. And we've seen this time and again. I could tell you a story about that, but I could tell all kinds of stories, and so I won't. Or it's a moral system. And so people want to know how to be good people, and they think that Christianity is all about learning how to be good people. Well, it sort of is, but for a different reason. It's more than that. And really, the truth is, encounter with God, with, which has moral and rational aspects. So I remember once, when I went, after I went to seminary, and of course I went to an Episcopal church seminary, but I came home to the, my home parish for Christmas or something, and I went in to see the priest because I hadn't seen him in six months. Uh, and I was telling him about how that there were parts, was describing some of the parts of the experience for me and how, what it represented. And it, I remember him saying to me, we're going to have to expunge all that knowledge. He was of the impression that any kind of knowledge was bad, and, and the, by implication, then, is when you come into the spiritual life, we don't gain knowledge, but we do. But it's experiential knowledge. And that's the way we want it. We want to see from that perspective. So it, really, the truth is encounter with God with moral and rational aspects that are all interacting and always transcending whatever it is we experience. Always. <laughs> wow. So just when you think you've arrived, I got news for you. You've only just begun. <laughs> That's what's fun about it. That's what's so exciting. We can never really get, get this. I mean, 40 years of ministry, and I'm only now finding some things out. I wish I'd known them 40 years ago, but I didn't. God in his mercy saw fit not to show me until recently. So I have the, the, I have the, the excitement of knowing there's a whole lot more. Uh, so anyway, in order to respond to and heal despondency, it's imperative that we see and understand from God's perspective. Now, in past lessons, we talked about creation uh, and, you, you know, the, the waters of creation. That's why I like the thing about waters and stuff. But in any case, we talked about creation, and there are two ways of describing creation. Actually, there are three, but I'm going to talk about the two that, with which we're most common. One is science says creation came into being over millions of years. And Genesis 1 says six days. And so our logic says they don't coincide, so one of them's not right. And so if we take a Christian religious perspective, we say science is wrong. If we take a science perspective, we say the church is wrong. But 
the whole perspective is wrong. Because if you think if God is eternal, then do you think it matters from his perspective? I mean, billions of years and six days are the same thing from God's perspective. So we want to see it the way he sees it. We won't even waste our time worrying about how do, you, how, do you, how do you make six days and billions of years work together. Who cares? God, all of time is in God in a single moment. So it could be six days. It could be billions of years. We want to see it the way God sees. That takes a change for us. Remember, many years ago, I came here and filled in one Sunday for you, and I, and I told you that one of the things a priest has to learn when he fills in at a church is to go into the holy space and get used to the holy space, because no matter how much like our churches are, every church is different. And there are two perspectives. One, you walk in, and the second one, you turn around and face the nave, because it's entirely different up there when you're up there. Entirely different. And if you don't do it, you're going to make a, a priest, you're going to make a whole bunch of mistakes. So a priest needs to go up there and get used to that space and turn around and face the nave. Well, that's a good metaphor for what this life is about. We need to go into the presence of God and see reality from his perspective. It's imperative. He sees reality and he gives us the ability to be able to understand what he shows us and, and, and reveals to us. You know, as you said, he makes us, he builds us. We were built this way. So he makes it possible. So, so in order to, to overcome despondency, it's imperative we begin to see from God's perspective. When we do, it leads us to constant deepening of that perspective. So the knowledge that we receive is, is constant. By the way, going back to the story, of the, in a sense, of the priest uh, who wanted me to see the expunged of the knowledge, the word for mind in, in, in Greek is nous. But the church uses the word nous differently than, than our society and the rest of Christianity, non-Orthodox, does. So what's popular, the popular understanding that nous means mind so the rational, the logical, the worldly logical. But actually what it means is the, the, the ability within us to receive that information from God and be able to use it and, and understand it and respond to it. It's an ability within us built for it. And so the noose is that whole part of us that understands, it receives this great mystery and begins to grasp just little bits of it and respond to it. So noose changes for us when it's seen from the perspective of God. It's entirely different. This is, this is what I like about orthodoxy. Every word that describes some aspect of what we believe is like that. You see it from God's perspective, and it opens up vistas. The church has constantly used words differently than society has held. For example, essence, the essence of God, usia. Church uses it differently than the world does. Hypostasis, persons, the church uses it differently than the world does. And we better understand that we won't get it. And guess what? Hypostasis is used in Hebrews to refer to us having perfect faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the hypostasis of things unseen. We are the hypostasis in a sense made to see and be a vision and have a vision of God and to see from his eyes. So 
It leads us to deeper perception, which then guides and deepens the effect of our actions and what we do. Brings us, it leads us into wholeness, which itself is not something we attain once in, you know, like, oh, if I'm strain for five years, and maybe if I get it right, I will arrive at wholeness. Well, when we arrive at wholeness, we keep arriving at wholeness. The holy city is called Yerushalayim, the, the, the place of, of fullness, of completion, of shalom, which itself is eternal. That peace is eternal. It grows and grows and grows and keeps growing. And all of this begins to heal despondency. I think that we could get despondent because we have not experienced this. How does one get despondent other than give me more? I can't, I'm sorry that I can't handle more. So by the waters of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered the Zion. By the way, I love it in the Western Rite. During Holy Week, three of the lessons are from Lamentations, which are almost like reading. It was Jeremiah the prophet's uh, lamenting when Jerusalem was destroyed in 586 B.C. The temple was destroyed. Everything that represented their faith was destroyed, and he lamented. And it's almost like lamenting, or like the, it's like almost like the the uh, despondency that's affected when one realizes what's happened to us. And I'm also reminded of St. Silouan's lament, uh, the, what is it, the lament of Adam or something? Adam's lament, that's it, the exact wording, uh, where he laments the fall. And even after he's been redeemed, he says, oh, how I, how I regret having grieved my God. That's, wow, talk about a perspective. But anyway, so it leads to the healing of despondency. Now, what I put up here is something, this will seem like an aside, but it's not. And I want to leave this to you. That is, we've discussed this before. Looking at ourselves and knowing ourselves before and after the fall. So before the fall, this is the way God intended us to be, to encounter him, to encounter God. You know, we talk about the mystics and those people who can tell us about the encounter of God. We are the mystics. We're the ones who are supposed to do that. The little of us, the, the most minute, the most insignificant, has the ability, this ability built within. It's learning how to use it and knowing what to do with it. So the encounter with God is the first thing. Secondly, experiencing then both the immaterial and the material realms of creation. Creation is more than just the material world around us. That's the, that's the realm of science. But the realm that we involve ourselves, in which we are involved, is different. It's more encompassing. There's a whole world of immaterial reality out there. The angels are a part of it. Sometimes we experience the angels, but probably not like they were in the beginning of creation. So it's a different world. And even the presence of God... So we begin to experience the immaterial. And this is not metaphorically or symbolically or, you know, I just have an understanding. It's real. The world changes. Everything changes. The third one, knowledge originates from revelation. 
in, in the, the academic world, knowledge starts from you put, you get a piece of information and you build on it and you get some more information, a few more facts, and you keep building and building and building and building and building. It's empirical. So we, we build it up. Whether we ever, we can't, well, we won't, but through that knowledge, arrive at an encounter with God. We might, we might arrive at the belief that there is a first cause, but we can't define him or it or whatever it is. In many cases today, we're finding that people are saying, if it can't be proven scientifically, then it can't be there. Therefore, we're going to leave that out of the picture altogether. Well, it doesn't work very well. Uh, because knowledge originates from revelation. God has to reveal himself, and he has. That's what everything we teach tells us. God has revealed himself. This is what we have learned. Now, if we're crazy, if the church is crazy, if the saints are crazy, if the scriptures are crazy, if the, the apostles are crazy, if Jesus himself was crazy, then we don't need to pay this any heed, but it actually wouldn't hurt us any, because we're no better off than we were, no worse off than we were before. But if it's true, if it's true, remember when I was a young man searching for truth and I went to a rock concert and there was a guy that I had known had been a drug dealer in Wichita Falls. And between the bands playing at this big rock concert, he was getting up and singing folk music about Jesus. He'd had a Christian conversion. And it wasn't what he said that affected me. It was his person, he was transformed. And I didn't have a clue as to what was going on with him. I just, well, I knew where he'd come from and I knew what I heard. And I remember thinking he has something, I don't know what it is, but I want it. So revelation does that to us, it transforms us and we want that revelation. The knowledge of sin is given of the person of God, or the knowledge is given of the person of God, which I've already mentioned. Time is chronological and eternal. See, we experience time in a fallen perspective. We have not experienced time the way God experiences it. What is that like? <laughs> yeah, I think we get glimpses every once in a while, but not really. We measure everything by chronological time. Self is understood in relationship to God. Every one of us understands himself in relationship to God. God defines us, not all the things about us, even like our jobs and our spouses and our families and, and, and what, how we look, you know, and our hairstyles and, you know, all those kinds of things. Self is comprehended universally. Every one of us, every one of us, even if we don't want to and don't think so, represents all of creation, not just existing now, but through all of time and which is yet to come. We are universal. That's why Christ could come and become human flesh and become the second Adam, because he assumed that universal quality which is given to all of us. When we stand in there, each one of us represents the whole of creation. I love the Kyrie now. Lord have mercy upon us, because I feel like I'm standing there on behalf of everything that is and saying that prayer. Have mercy, and it comes alive. And then there's the Gloria, the angelic salutation, and we sing with the angels. Wow, we're doing it. That's universality. Self is comprehended universally. 
You see how different it is from the way we perceive ourselves. Obedience to God is a natural state. <laughs> we all know about this one. You hear a commandment, and you think, I'm going to do that, right? And we start to do it. <laughs> we fail miserably time and again. It's so hard. It is easy to be sinful and difficult and a struggle to be pious and righteous. <laughs> Don't we all agree? Why is that? It shouldn't be. So obedience is a natural state. And then the passions are subject to the person. The passions are subject to the person. And we all, you know, some of us can master some of our passions. Some of us can master most of our passions, but I don't think any of us can master all of our passions. And, and, the, and commercials on TV are proof of that. You know, they, they know how to appeal to our passions. So, you know, when you're watching a, a football game and, and, and the ads come on for, I'm sorry, but when they come on with those big, thick, crusted pizzas with the cheese in the end, you know, I, start to we, I start to weaken. Fortunately, Grace keeps me grounded, and she won't allow me to go order one, so otherwise I would. Uh, that shouldn't be that way either. Uh, the, passions are, uh, the passions are subject to the person. We are the masters of our passions. You know, hunger was meant to tell us it's time to feed the machine, not it's time to indulge in an extra pizza that you just had dinner an hour ago. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, by the way, it's a good thing I asked for a second marker. This one's out already. <laughs> if you look at this, that's the way we were meant to be. Now, I've mentioned to you, but still, and now I have to write it down, forgive. Encounter with God, this is the fallen state. No longer a given. If God reveals himself, wants to reveal himself to somebody else, to somebody outside this situation, he can, but it's not a given. God can reveal himself wherever he will. That's why I like that saying about the Orthodox Church. This is, more, this is as much theological as it is just a statement. We, we, know, we know where the Holy Spirit is. We don't know where the Holy Spirit is not. So this is no longer a given, the encounter with God. So sometimes God will appear in some ways in strange ways, like to some of the prophets of the Old Testament. Reality, or, or, or yeah, that's one, two. Reality is the material only. We've already done this. Knowledge is from logic. Sorry. Knowledge is li limited to the material. What can I touch and experience? What can I logically fathom? So if we say something or a saint says something and we don't get it, that can't be true. <laughs> really? Where's the fault lie, really? Does the fault lie with the individual who's telling us this, the saints, or does it lie perhaps with our perception? Have we ever considered that? Time is chronological only.
So when we come to church, oh, Sunday morning, I just want to just lie in bed. When I come here, we just get on with it and get it over with, you know. I love it in orthodoxy. You're, we're forced to forget time because the services are too long. So if nothing else, just the, and, and believe me, sometimes they, what we're seeing on Sundays is nothing, right? It's nothing. I remember the first time, first time we did the Paschal Liturgy in Wichita Falls, we were, we were meeting in a Greek church, uh, the Holy Saturday Liturgy, on, not the Paschal Liturgy, but the Holy Saturday Liturgy, and the Greeks said, oh, our Paschal Liturgy, Paschal Vigil is two hours long. And that year we did a modified version of the Paschal Liturgy and beat them by 10 minutes. <laughs> they couldn't believe it. <laughs> so you forget time, but time, but this is a fallen state. It's our fallen nature is saying, oh, get me out of here. I want to get, we, we got we to we get done. Self, in, in the fall, self is the central point of the material order of all of creation. So, I see all of creation on the basis of myself, who I am, and so do you. That's the way we judge everything. Notice our language. My job, my house, my spouse, my kids, my this, my that. Well, no, no, they're not. We leave it all behind when we go. Not ours, not my money either. Self is comprehended individually. Let me just put individual here because I'm going to take this off in a minute. As opposed to universally, I don't represent anybody but me here. If I don't want to be here, I don't have to be. Well, you know, when each of us comes here, we, all rep we each represent everything and everybody and all of time. We do. And yet that doesn't excuse me from not, or one of us, from not doing our duty. It doesn't mean our do that it's not going to be done. It is going to be done in all the others, but that's not the point. The point is that we are doing what God has made us to do. And then the eighth one, self-definition -defin is is a natural state, that this, this is natural. We look for everything to be natural. Oh, well, it's my passions. I mean, my passions define me. We would never say that, but that's what we say in society. That's what we say. Our passions define us. And so whatever we think those things are, that's what we are. And it's not correct. And the person is subject to the passions. Sorry. Can't help myself. Can't help myself. I got to indulge my passions or I'm not truly human. <laughs> That's really farther down the road. We're going to look at some demonic suggestions. And that's one of them. So anyway, look at the contrast. 
if one lives in this, one lives in this, you can see why he'd be spiritually despondent if he knew about this. <laughs> or if he just knew about this but didn't participate in it. Now, I want to, I got to take this off for a minute, part of this. I'm going to leave the good part. Take this off. Whoop. And I'm bringing all this, I am going to bring all this together, believe it or not. There are five phases, what I call phases, I don't know what else to call them of humanity as we describe humanity. We describe humanity in five different phases of existence. The first one is before the fall, which is sort of what we've done here. The second one is after the fall. Just by what I've just said, we've already seen there's the difference between before the fall and after the fall. The third one is after the incarnation and the redemption. Everything changes when God becomes man. The fourth one is after death, where we're all going but before the general resurrection. So we pray for the departed, for example, because most of them are here. And five, finally, after the general resurrection. That is after Christ returns and there is the, the full judgment and all of eternity is laid out. When we talk about humanity, we talk about us in these concepts. Now, here's the interesting thing for us, for us, based upon what we've seen here. We believe and practice here after the incarnation on number three, hoping to combat the outcome of this, the fall. So that's what our asceticism is all about. That's why we do these things. We want to combat the out, because even though the incarnation has changed us and we regenerated, we begin to enter into the process of regeneration, which means that we, we have to cooperate with God's grace to fight the things that are in us that are wrong. So we start with three in the hopes of altering two, the result of which is phase five. The end game is we're going here, which includes four which is intended to fulfill one. So we're doing all five. That's the way we view reality. And if you don't view reality like that, it's wrong. You won't find any great saints of the church who will agree with that. They'll agree with this. The people in the world, though, if we don't come to this truth, we are here struggling here for all practical purposes, because even after we, we talk about the incarnation, we really are right back here doing nothing about our spiritual lives. Nothing. That's despondency. That's despondency. That's where it is. 
So the medicine is to do what the church tells us, and we will find the healing. Now, I'll add something else to this. This is a hypothesis of mine. Let me put this down here. You all know what PTSD is. We hear a lot about it today in today's world. I have a hypothesis that there's sort of a reverse PTSD which occurs in us as a result of the original. I think where it was in PTSD, a traumatic experience of some sort is not dealt with or cannot be dealt with by an individual and it affects his whole behavior and his thinking and his acting and everything else or it affects a lot of it. So dealing with it is a difficult task as we know. Well, I think there's a reverse PTSD that occurs in humanity. And that is, there's a part of us that recognizes that this should be happening in us. We don't identify it, we haven't identified it, we don't know what the details are, but that's basically what we're looking for. Something is crying out, there's more, there's more, there's gotta be more. Yeah, there is, here it is. It's eternally more. So we're, we're crying out for it, it affects the whole way we behave. That's the despondency. That's why this is what, what, this is the medicine of salvation, the church calls it. What I really have liked Orthodox theologians, they, so many of them use the word healing when it comes to spirituality. Healing. <laughs> well, well, I never thought about that before. I thought healing had to do when you're sick, you lay hands on somebody and they get healed, you know. I never thought it had to do with the psyche or my psyche being corrected, healed made right the way God intended in the beginning. Wow. So what's missing? The proper vision or understanding. And you get it here in the Orthodox Church. If you don't see it, you know, just wait. Which affects the way we practice. So what we say to do is imperative for us because it affects the vision that we have. And we don't want that vision to be misunderstood or distorted, which enlightens the vision further. The more we do what God says and what the church tells us, the more we are drawn into this, this mystery and the more we experience the vision of Christ which gives us, which opens us to reality. And we begin to see and experience this. Wow. Which fulfills our function and our humanity. There won't be despondency then. So, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop there. The, the next time I wanna look at, and I've, I've mentioned this in <coughs> passing, but I want to look at the antinomic, what's called the antinomic nature of reality, which includes us. Because to understand our spiritual disciplines and where we're going with this and applying this healing remedy, we need to understand what the way we're supposed to be. Not just this, but what participates in this within us, within the material aspect of us. So what I've told you here, these... Uh, there is, there is some antinomic here, like time is chronological and eternal. Uh, that gives you an idea what that means. And I'll explain it more next time. Questions?
that's a handful for the day, don't you think? <laughs> uh, Father? Yes. You know, when you had <coughs> listed, the fall is the sock tur being turned, you know, the wrong way, yeah. right? And when you mentioned that, and I looked at all of those things, can we not see what and why is happening in the culture around us is going on? It, look at it. It is the extent of not seeing this. And it leads fallenness, the absence of God in one's life, leads one to the, the unnatural natural thing to do in the fallen human person which I become God and I self-define everything, including my own identity. Mm -hmm. And you watch. And, you know, I see this going on. We see it in all the self-definitions that are exploding in this culture. Okay? I want to I warn you. If you get disgusted by it, you don't have the heart of God. If you weep over it, you have the heart of God. Because he's wanting to offer this. So that they come to know their true selves and relax into the peace of becoming what we were created to be. But I see, when I saw those two opposites, the opposite is all around us. We need to pray and intercede that they get that glimpse beginning with an encounter with God. And that brings them right side in. And that's why I like that reverse PTSD. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you something. You clock it. Mark my words. Five years from now and ten years from now, you watch what happens. If those people do not find God and discover their true selves, look at what their current decisions have done in their life. We're already seeing the incredible dysfunction of the human beings that are changing their sexuality physically and emotionally <coughs> and they're seeing such medical damage as well as emotional further damage from doing so. Watch it five years and ten years from now because it is living into the fallenness that God never intended. And that stuck out to me like a sore thumb. And, and when they find that what the society has told them will work doesn't, yeah. then there'll be something new. Yeah. Right. So. I'm sorry? Yeah. I remember in, in Wichita Falls, we had, a, we had a situation, forgive, but there was the non-Orthodox churches. There was always the church that I used to call the church of what's happening now. And it had, it was into some recent Christian idea. Like if you if you, if you give faithfully, God will make you rich. And then there was the numbers thing. The Jabba's prayer was one of them, and that, that was big. And so the church that advocated that was the one where everybody went until they got used to it, and it was commonplace, and then they quit going, and they went somewhere else. So somebody else had the, you know, the study of the numerical value of biblical words. Well, people reinvent the wheel. That's been around for over 2,000 years, and it's called gematria. So the church knows all about it. We can tell you about it, and, and there's meaning to it and there's substance to it, but it's not, a, it's not a direction. It's not going to heal the human soul. So there was the church that did that. And so there, you can always tell where the church was happening now in Wichita Falls because it was the one with, I'm on the internet here, so I guess. <laughs> I'll get some nasty letters, I suspect. But anyway, uh, 
you could always tell because the parking lot would be full and two years later it wouldn't be. I remember one year we went by, Father Michael Kaiser came to town to visit us uh, and as I was taking him from the hotel to the church, we passed by the church which had been the church of what's happening now and it was had it on its sign in the 35th week of revival. Can't remember what the subject matter was, and Father Michael turned to me and said, I wonder how long it takes to revive. <laughs> so anyway, when we start to understand the antinomic quality of things, it'll help give us a focus on what we need to do about this. Okay, see you the next time. Thank you.